right, so blow up our boxes. You guys ready? You ready to dig into the word? Are you ready? All right. I can't be the only loud one here today, so shout at me, holler at me. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we were in prayer. Um, Travis with, is the president of the Ministerial Association, and he decided that they were going to start praying together, that any of our leaders in the community, business leaders, pastors, that we wanted to get together and agree together in prayer. And so we met at the Ezekiel Project downtown because we wanted a central place, a neutral place, and Rick Aridano graciously opened up the doors to us to pray together and to, and to go to war together. And while I was praying, um, I have this tendency, like I walked out this morning and I looked at my mom and I said, why did I come out here? And she goes, I don't know. And so I started going through a list. I'm like, nope, not that. Oh, I got to get Eliza out of the nursery. I forgot my kids. <laughs> so I have this tendency to have a quick, like, I'll hear something and then I'll forget it really quickly. Anybody else have that happen to them? Okay, good. I'm not alone. So I was praying and the Lord said, blow up our boxes to my heart. As we're agreeing together, we're praying with a Presbyterian pastor, we're praying with a Methodist pastor, we're praying with business leaders in the community. We're all from different places in life, we're all at different stages in life, and the Lord said, let's blow up our boxes. Let's not put boxes around each other, let's not put boxes around him, and let's love each other like Jesus. And so I walked over to the poster board to write it down, and I completely blanked on what I was going to write. So I walked away <laughs> and walked back over, and I was talking to Rick about what God is doing. And I said, and I think he wants us to blow up our boxes. And it actually came out of my mouth. And I was like, oh, I got to go write that down before I forget. So on our whiteboard where we've made a list of things we are going after in prayer, together agreeing as the church, the church, one of the things we have as the church need to see is, yes, we're praying for the lost to be saved, and that is a given, but we need unity in the church. We need unity in our love for each other no matter what the name is above the door. And we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is how the world will know that we follow Jesus. Right? And so it's like, box blown. Box blown. No matter what walk of life we come from. And I want to tell you this morning, big things are coming. Right, Mason? Yeah. <laughs> hey, your mommy's back there. She's looking for you. <laughs> oh, do you want to preach? You can preach. You're so cute. Have you ever heard that kid laugh? It's, it's contagious. I love it. Okay. So, back to what I was saying. Blow up our boxes. Bob Jones is a prophet. He is in heaven now. And Bob Jones prophesied in the last 10 years multiple times, get this, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you will know that revival is about to come. Yeah! <laughs> now, if you're fans of the Chiefs, that's great. But if you're fans of Jesus, that's even greater. And I know that some people are like, hmm, yes, sir. Well, the Chiefs have not won a Super Bowl in 50, in 50 years so it's not like saying, if the Browns don't make the playoffs, revival is coming. <laughs> so it was very prophetic. You're going to get me in trouble. That was not my fault. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> to finish the quote, it says, God is raising up apostolic chiefs. And what's so cool is like he said, the chiefs haven't been to a Super Bowl championship in 50 years. The year of Jubilee, of freedom for the captive, is represented in that number. The coach, um, Andy Reid, it was on 02-02-2020. Numbers, God likes numbers. Okay, if you read through the word, you can, I'm not just making that up. We're not just being superstitious. God has specific numbers that have specific meaning. And then he, it was his 222nd win. Two, 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 two. And I forget, do you remember second Super Bowl, he won one as an assistant coach. Anything else? <laughs> okay, he's the football person, and so he's like itching because I'm the one talking, and it's probably not as good. Um, so there was one other thing. Oh, it was the 100th year of the NFL. 
um, national championship, right? Isn't that cool? All of those numbers all have meaning. And I forget what the two, somebody had said something about what two means in the kingdom, and I can't remember if it's peace or something like that. Anyways, aside from all of that, that Bob Jones said this multiple times that the Lord was speaking to him. And if you watched the game, did you watch it? Did you get bored like halfway through and turn it off? Hopefully before the halftime show. (laughs) Sorry, I went there. Um, So we finished it when we got home. We were at somebody's house and then we drove home. When we got home, they were down by a touchdown. And I'm like, huh, well, I wonder if this prophetic word is going to come true. And like, there's no way. They have two minutes left in this quarter and it's over. I know enough about football that I know that. Guess what? Actually, I think there was five minutes left. Guess what? they won. They got three touchdowns in the last five minutes, and they came back with a win. Isn't that cool? I'm like, oh boy. Did you read that word? Do you know what's coming? What has the Holy Spirit been saying to us for several years? This has been a decade of proclamation, a decade of prophetic words. And in the last few years with the Assemblies of God, with our Ohio for Jesus in the next 10 years, we have this prophetic word that's on the wall. And he says, I'm sending angels to oversee you. Oh, wait, before he says that, he says, I'm unifying you for what is about to come. I am unifying you for what is about to come. Blow up any box that stands in the way of unity in Jesus' name. Come on. And then there's another part that says, get rid of the fear of man. And I can't find it. I'm not going to find it. But I, I have never forgotten that part. Get rid of the fear of man. We cannot proceed with a revival if we're constantly worried about pleasing people. Leslie, you're talking to yourself this morning. We cannot proceed with moving out in faith and courage if we're worried about what so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are thinking about us as we proceed out. We have to blow up the box because guess what? They probably don't really care anyways. And we're letting an imaginary thing stop us from moving into the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel. Amen? Come on. Another prophetic word that God has given to say, in the next 10 years, I am about to move. Do you guys ever watch the Chronicles of Narnia or read the books? And, and it says in there, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And there's a biblical correlation in that book, and it's so powerful whenever I hear those words. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. He's fighting our battles. He is on the move. And I'm, not tell- I'm telling you, not one day has gone by this week that we haven't heard a praise report of immeasurably more happening in your lives. And that makes me just go, okay, God, nothing's impossible for you. That box is blown. That box is blown. That box is blown. Let's go. Let's see this word fulfilled. And guess what? Over and over and over again, the Lord has been speaking through others and directly to our hearts that he is pouring out his spirit in a new way. He longs for our culture to be his culture, for our thoughts to be his thoughts, for us to be in full surrender and full obedience through his love. All of these words are amazing, but we have a choice to partner with him. Come on. To partner with him or determine our comfort level and not move at all. He says, I'm on the move. My spirit is going to be poured out so we can either receive and move with him or we can sit on the sidelines and watch the victory happen. I don't want to be on the side. I don't want to miss it. Blow up any box that would stand in my way. We will unapologetically pursue all that Jesus paid for. Greater things will you do in my name. Come on. We have placed boxes in our minds around what we can and cannot do. I can't do that. I can't do this. God's not going to show up there. I'm sorry. I've got my box. And you're not in it. There are times I feel the Lord telling me to do something, and I ask, me? Are you sure you've got the right girl? Because I ain't got it. I put a box around God and what he is capable of. What is he capable of? Come on, preach to me. What is he capable of? 
Yeah. All things are possible. Immeasurably more. Nothing is impossible with him. What, is, what am I capable of? Come on. What am I capable of? What are you capable of? Greater things. All things. Ooh, I love that one. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Woo. Yeah. He says, greater things will you do. When I go to be with my father, even greater than what I have done. We haven't even done a message about that. Are you ready for the even greater than what Jesus did? Because you, through him, have the power to move and have your being there. Get ready, guys. The next 10 years is going to blow up every box you ever had. Jesus is on the move. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He set the oppressed free. He opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He stopped chronic illnesses. And the list goes on and on. And he says, he looks at you, his bride, and he says, greater things will you do. Greater things will you do in my name. And we sit in our church seat and we declare, that can't happen through me. Or does that really happen anymore? God loves to tear down any walls that are human built, which don't reconcile with the truth. He really is that good. So when you come to his word, when you come to his throne and you say, take anything out of me that is not from you, any belief system, any box that I've put around you, take it out of me and you reconcile it with the word, the box is gone. It's blown. It can't stand with the truth of the word of God. If this, if this is the truth, then you go here and you say, okay, this is what the Bible says. So no, no matter what I'm seeing happen around me, I will stand. I will move in obedience. He said it. I believe it. I'll stand in it. I'll move in it. He came to change our thinking from an orphan mentality to kingship. You are not an orphan anymore. You are a son of the king. Woo! We just saw orphans come into their sonship and their daughtership with their yes to Jesus. You are not on this planet to just take up space. You were created with intention, with purpose, with destiny. Woo! Go to Ephesians 1.18 with me really quick. Thank you, Jesus. As we go into the ne these next few moments of the word that God has given, I want to read this. As I read it, I want you to feel that I am praying this over you. I'm not just reading from the word, but this is a prayer Paul prayed over the Ephesians church. He prayed this over them, and I love it. I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to ever forget this verse. I want to pray this every time I think of the church, every time I think of my brothers and sisters. This is what I want to see in my spirit and in their spirit. So let's read this together. I'm going to read it over you. I'm going to pray it over you right now. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. I pray that the light of God would illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continue to experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith in Jesus' name. Then your lives will be an advertisement of the immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. Your lives will be an advertisement of immense power. Your lives will be an advertisement of immense power immeasurable greatness from our God. Isn't that good? I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I agree with those words as I prayed over the body right now, and I agree that they would have this come to fruition continually in their lives until the end of their days. In Jesus' name. I, 
illuminate the eyes of your imagination. What are you imagining God doing in your life? When you're a kid, you have no problem using your imagination. But something happens as you grow up, and you got to deal with the real life. you got an adult life now, and you've got to deal with it. And you lose the imagination that God gave us and it wanted us to never lose. And when we're praying, when we're reading, when we're listening to him, he wants to just blow up our imagination. What if this happens? What if this person gets saved? What if this revival comes? What will we see? What do we need to be prepared for? And let him illuminate the eyes of your mind to see the way that he sees, to think the way that he thinks. <clears throat> Through, gl- <clears throat> excuse me, there's like a frog. Praise God. To see the way that he sees, to think the way that he thinks. Blow it up. Blow up our boxes, God. Don't let me put, don't let me limit him. I don't want to limit him in my life. When you agree with heaven in your life, anything is possible. Heaven, I want you. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want your, your heavenly realm, your kingdom realm to manifest in my life. And watch out. It, it, it will. <laughs> it's coming. So God is not intimidated by our boxes. I love that. I'm grateful for that. In fact, he anticipates it and tells us to put on the mind of Christ. And he's gentle. So there are sometimes I don't even realize there's a box in my mind determining how I think about something. And he gently disciplines me. I love, I love his discipline. And we should. Um, Bill Johnson says he likes his coffee so strong that he can walk on it without faith. He likes his Mexican to growl at him that it's so hot, and he likes the word to growl at him when he opens it. Do we receive the discipline and the correction of the Lord with that kind of spirit and heart? Teach me your ways, O God. Teach me your ways. Get anything out of me that doesn't belong. Teach me your thoughts. Blow up my box of selfishness in this area. Blow up my box of fear in this area. Blow up the box that I put around you that this is impossible. The number one of the boxes, we're going to go through three types of boxes that we kind of narrowed down. And box number one is, I know how God thinks. I <laughs> like that giggle somewhere over here. I know how God thinks. I want to tell you a story about a man named Nicodemus. We've been watching The Chosen, y'all, and it is just so good. If you haven't got the app on your phone and you're not watching it yet, get it. Revival will break out in your house. My children were on the couch watching an episode about the woman at the well, and they were jumping up and down. I wasn't even in the room. They were jumping up and down going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I walked into the room, and I'm like, what is happening in here? Revival, come on. So The Chosen is about Jesus. It's a, it's a show, but it is biblical, and it is Good, and there are some elaborations in the show. They've put some dramatic background to it, but when he speaks the word of God, it is the word of God. And he talks about Nicodemus. The show has several episodes devoted to his life, and Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a man of the law. He was a man of integrity. And he was alive when Jesus came on the scene. And this man knows the law, He knows the prophecies of what is to come. And then all of a sudden, he hears about crazy John, John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for the Lord. And then he hears about this man that has stepped on the scene. And in the movie, in the show, it's about Mary Magdalene and how Nicodemus had went to set her free from the demon possession that she was in, and he couldn't. But Jesus stepped on the scene and freed her. And instead of getting self-righteous, there was a hunger in his heart. Like that, that, that like, oh, I've got to have what's happening here. And he set, he took off his religious hat and he set it aside. And he went after Jesus and he got a private meeting because if he would have met him out loud in front of everyone, he would have been slaughtered. He would have been, like, literally probably just excommunicated, and who knows what else would have happened. Stoning? I don't know. 
But here's this religious leader that knows the law, that knows the prophets, that knows the prophecies, and he says, there's more, and we've been waiting for this Messiah, and I want to see him with my own eyes, if this is who he is. And he made it out to sound like he was going to find him so that he could, you know, disprove his ministry. But in his heart of hearts, he knew that Jesus was the Son of God by the miracles, signs, and wonders that he was hearing of him that he was doing. So Nicodemus has a conversation in the night. My dad used to preach a message called Nick at Night. I love it. So he and Jesus meet up, and they have a conversation. And Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah to Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again. Imagine somebody coming to you and saying, you've got to be born again. And in your natural mind, you're thinking, Okay, I got to go back in my mother's womb and come back out again? Gross, no. But Jesus came to blow up his box and give him supernatural understanding. So when he spoke to Nicodemus, he said, and I'm going to read you out of, um, read to you John 3, and it's 1 through 13, but I'm going to zone in on a couple of verses. Nicodemus asks, how, how can you do this? How can I do this? How can I be saved? How can I be reborn? Jesus answered, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit wind, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural. But the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural life. And then verse 10, Jesus answered Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation. I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you are unable to understand and believe what I have told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. And you see, Nicodemus is sitting there and he has understanding of what he is saying because he knows the law. He knows the stories. He knows what he's read all of his life. And finally, he is seeing the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's seeing, but they expected him to come and take out the Romans who were their their enemy. And establish a heavenly kingdom on earth. And he says, no, I have come to establish a supernatural heavenly kingdom in your heart. For you to give to another person, to give to another person, to give to another person. So that the Romans can get saved. So that the Greeks can get saved. So that the Gentiles can get saved. So that all Jewish people can come to know that I am the Messiah. He blew up his religious box. He blew up all the laws that surrounded him and said, the only way for you to get to me, to be in the heavenly realm with me, is for you to say yes to me, to invite me into your life so that I can give you a supernatural understanding. You see, when we say yes to Jesus, the the natural box realm is blown up. And we enter into a mindset that is supernatural. You like my... (laughs) cool, huh? He says, I exist in the heavenly realm and I exist in your heart. When you are reborn, you get this supernatural brain. Cool. Take my brain, Lord. Give me a supernatural one. That's what he does. He blows up our boxes. You have to be born again in the supernatural realm through the sun. Matthew 5, 17 says, if you think I come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you are mistaken. This is Jesus speaking. I have come to fulfill and bring to perfection all that has been written. See, we get these religious laws and we say, I have to do this, 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 and this to be a Christian. I have to act right. I have to talk right. I have to not drink. I have to not get drunk. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to be here. I have to be there. Those are boxes. And he wants to blow them. Because it isn't about what you do. It is about what you receive. And through his supernatural power, then you will obey his commands. Because they're fulfilled. They're complete. He has completed every law. Hear this. And so when you invite him into your life, you live far above the law. It's not even a problem for you. 
It's not even an issue because you have a supernatural mind. Yeah, woohoo! Jesus came to fulfill the law, not illuminate it. He completed it for us. So if we live in him, we can kingdom naturally fulfill it. You want to fulfill the law? Be in Jesus. It's done. Amen? Grace is sufficient for all of my weaknesses. In my weaknesses, you are stronger. I love that. So that was Matthew 5.17. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. If you jump down to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching all of these heavenly kingdom treasures to these people, he ends with this. He says, by this time, Jesus finished speaking. The crowds were dazed and overwhelmed by his teaching because his words carried such great authority, quite like, unlike their religious scholars. Jesus walked and he talked with the authority and the anointing of heaven. And he blew up their boxes. He blew up the religiosity. Guys, so often we walk through life with a religious spirit, and he wants to blow that up. He wants to get that off. He wants us to shake it off and receive the true, true salvation in nature that he has given us. And by faith, through grace, we get to walk in a supernatural mindset. And our thoughts become heavenly thoughts. Our thoughts become heavenly thinking. We get a heavenly understanding. How many of you want a heavenly understanding? Come on, we should all be raising our hands as high as possible. I want a heavenly understanding, a heavenly perspective on what you're doing in my life. I need your help because I have anger in this area, and I need a heavenly help in this area in my life. I have a weakness to this addiction. I need a heavenly help in this area in my life. I need your perspective on my physical body. I need your perspective on my family and my children. I need your perspective on my mouth and what comes out of it. I need your perspective on my heart, my identity. When you get his perspective, you get it all. Heavenly thinking. We have to blow up the box that says, I know how God thinks. And ask every time, God, what do you think? Give me heavenly understanding. What does your word say? Don't allow any thoughts that put your ideas or thoughts less than. Let your thoughts be supreme in my mind. Let your thoughts be supreme in my heart, in my actions, in my attitudes. Nothing goes above his thoughts. That means when you think badly of yourself, that's not his thoughts. When you're putting yourself down and you're calling yourself names, that's not his thoughts. When you're receiving guilt and shame, that is not his thoughts. When you try to put the law back in your life and say, I'm going to do, say, and be this, that is not his thoughts. Blow it up in Jesus' name. Box number two. I know how God works. I want to tell you about a man named Naaman. And we find the story of Naaman in 2 Kings. Naaman was a commander in the Aramean army. And Naaman dealt with leprosy. If you don't know what leprosy is, it is a skin and nerve disease. It turns your skin white, kills the nerves in your body to where you can't experience pain. So most of those who battled with leprosy Um, were always injured and disfigured. Leprosy, if, if you dealt with leprosy, you were considered unclean, and you were a societal outcast. But Naaman was not an Israelite. He was not a part of the people of God, and so he was able to serve as commander of the Aramean army. And so they captured a, an Israelite girl and made her a servant to Naaman. And she said, I know what you need. If you will go to, to Israel, you can be healed of your leprosy. And so long story short, Naaman arrives at the palace before the king, and the king is like, can I give life? Can, can, I, can I do what you're asking me to do? Absolutely not. And the king was very frustrated. And so, or Elisha hears of Naaman 
And so Naaman goes to see Elisha, the prophet of God. And so Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, and Elisha sends his servant out to speak with Naaman. And the servant says, Naaman, you need to go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you will be cleansed. Well, remember, this box that we're blowing up here is I know how God works. Naaman walked away frustrated by that. First off, Elisha didn't even come to see him in person. Elisha sent a servant to speak with Naaman. And he said, tell Naaman to go to the Jordan, a muddy, filthy, disgusting river, and dip into the river seven times and he will be healed. You see, we often live our lives with the approach that we know how God works. We know how he thinks, how he operates. And this was Naaman's uh, reply. Naaman speaking to his servant, he says, I thought that he, meaning Elisha, would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So he turned and went off in a rage. He even said, why, why doesn't he send me to this river or to that river that's much cleaner than the Jordan? That would be more acceptable. That would be more along the lines of how God, this God works. This box is blown up by God's unconventional ways of working. Because God wants to increase our faith and increase our understanding of you will not figure me out. Just because I did it this way this time has no bearing on how I will act and how I will move the next time. You don't know my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. No, Naaman, Elisha's not going to come and wave his hand over the spot and you'll be healed. I want to test your faith and you have to move in humility. Imagine Naaman, a commander of the army of Aram, going to a filthy river, the Jordan, and dipping down seven times into this river. Probably looked like a lunatic to the people standing around him, but God's ways are unconventional. Think about Jesus in John chapter nine, with the man who was born blind. And says in verse six of John chapter nine, then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. Now listen, this man was born blind. He's never seen before in his life. And blindness in this culture was considered a curse because you or your parents had sinned. Even his disciples asked Jesus, who sinned to cause this man's blindness, him or his parents? And Jesus said, no one. This has happened so that he could experience the miracle power of God. And get this, in this culture, Jesus spit on the ground. This blind man would have become very accustomed to the sound of spitting because as people would walk by him, they would spit on him or at him because he was cursed. He was rejected. He was not fit to live in society because he or his parents had sinned and God had cursed him with blindness. So when he heard Jesus spit on the ground, he probably thought, here we go again. But Jesus, his ways are unconventional. And Jesus made mud with his saliva in the dirt of the ground, and he put it on his eyes, and he said, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he began to wash his eyes, his sight became restored, and for the first time in his life, he could see. Do you ever see Jesus work this way anywhere else in the Gospels? No, because his ways are unconventional. How many of you have heard of a man named Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth was known for his unconventional ways of ministering to people. 
And I, I listened to this story from a man who knew Smith Wigglesworth. And um, towards the end of a healing service, he had people line up on the stage who needed a physical healing in their bodies. And a man who was dying of stomach cancer had his bed wheeled up on the stage so that he could be prayed for by Smith Wigglesworth. And so Smith Wigglesworth started at one end of the line and began praying over people. And when he came to the man lying on the bed, his doctor was there with him as well. The man's doctor was. He, he said, what do you need? And the doctor said, this man is dying of cancer. And Smith Wigglesworth takes a step back, winds up his arm, and punches this man right in the stomach. And the man dies in the bed, literally just out cold. And the doctor is furious. He's like, what did you do? You killed him. They're going to sue you. You are ruined forever. Smith Wigglesworth wasn't affected at all. He just started going down, further down the line, praying for people. Didn't, didn't throw him off one bit. Man is dead in the bed. All good. All good. We're just going to keep praying for people. So he gets further down the line. About 10 minutes later, this man who was dead, dying of stomach cancer, starts running down the stage after Smith Wigglesworth, obviously ecstatic at his healing. Smith Wigglesworth stops, looks at the man, says, give glory to God, and just keeps going right on down the line. Like literally hardly even acknowledges the man who had just been healed. Because it wasn't about his glory, it was about God's glory. Unconventional ways. We cannot put God in the box of saying, I know how you will work. You see, going back to the story of the blind man, Jesus could have just placed his hands on the man. He could have just spoke to the man. But similarly to Naaman, the blind man's breakthrough and Naaman's breakthrough happened as a result of humility and obedience to Jesus' unconventional approach. They had to humble themselves. We need to humble ourselves sometimes because we don't have it all figured out like we think we do. We don't have God figured out like we think we do. He is a God who is doing a new thing. God never gives us a step-by-step -step model or method to how he works or how he can work through you other than faith and obedience. That is what you need. Faith followed by blind obedience. I think it was Noah who said these words. Sometimes faith will make you look stupid until it starts to rain. Okay, Noah really didn't say that. <laughs> but I guarantee you he thought it. Sometimes the way you pray may make you look stupid and still God starts answering your prayers. I know how God works is blown up by unconventional ways. Box number three. I know what God wants. This is our final box. Paul, who was Saul, had just encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, had um, a life-changing encounter, and he goes blind. And so, as a result, his companions take him into Damascus, and there Saul is blind, and he does not eat or drink for three days. And he begins praying because he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus who had, he had been persecuting. He had been killing Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to seek out followers of the way and to persecute them, to throw them into prison. And as Saul, Paul, is there praying, the Holy Spirit speaks to a man named Ananias. And it says Ananias was a disciple of Jesus. He was a faithful man of God. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I want you to go 
and I want you to minister to Saul, to Paul. He is in Damascus, and he has been praying, and he has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come and pray for him. Ananias thinks, God, I know what you want, and clearly this is not it. He says, but Lord, many have told me about this ter- his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. God, I know you. There is no way you could be asking me to do this. No way you can be calling me to do what you're asking me to do, to speak to the people you're telling me to speak to, to act in obedience to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. No way. That is way too far outside of my comfort zone. You think Ananias thought that? That would have been like, you know, years ago, God calling you to go minister to Osama bin Laden or God calling you to go minister to an ISIS leader who is known for murdering Christians. And God's like, all right, Chuck, I want you to go fly to the Middle East. You're gonna be led by my Holy Spirit. I'm going to lead you to an audience with the most notorious, murderous person in the ISIS terrorist organization. And you get to pray for him. How many of you would sign up for that job? Well, Ananias definitely didn't sign up for it either. But sometimes what God wants isn't what we want. God does not think the way we think. His logic is not our logic. When God calls us to do something great, it is rarely within our level of comfort or capability. If you feel like God is calling you to do something and your reaction is like, yep, I can do that. No problem. It's probably not God calling you to do it. But if it terrifies you and you think, no way. I mean, you look at any example in scripture of anyone who did something great for the kingdom of God, how did they first react? What was their immediate response? Most of the time it was dread, terror, right? Fear. But when they were obedient and they said, not my will, but your will, okay, They were empowered to do exactly what God had called them to do. Breakthrough happens through total surrender and illogical obedience. Stop trying to figure him out. Stop trying to keep him in a box of this is how I do what I do, and I'm not stepping outside of that. You know sometimes our faith is what activates and pulls God into an impossible situation. When you step outside of that comfort zone and you say, God, I am going to be obedient, even though this was not at all what I expected, that pleases his heart and it pulls him into the impossible to make the impossible become reality in your life, to make what you didn't possess before accessible to you. Don't try to figure it out. Just go with it. Just trust him. And he will give you all that you need. Jesus blows up the way we think, the way we worship, the way we love, the way we give, the way we see opportunities, the way we see the church, the way we see others, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see him. He blows it up. Whatever Leslie did, I don't know. Come on, it's time for God to blow up our boxes. This box is not on the screen, and it's not really, we didn't call it a box in the notes, but right before I got up here, the Holy Spirit said, call it the box of what the church should look like. So often we come in with, this is what our church should look like. This is how we should do it. This is what it, the way it has always been done. So this is what we're going to do. And get ready. Church is going to look different. It already is. And it's not what we want. We want to be in step with the Holy Spirit. 
And what we need is unity of our, our thinking. We have to be on page with each other in how we love each other and how we treat each other. And as the boxes get blown and as the Holy Spirit comes in and the fire pours out and the people get saved, redeemed, healed, and delivered, we don't put a box around them and say, you can't do this or you can't do that or you're too young in the faith to minister there or you're blowing it up. Get it out. I mean, I think if Smith Wigglesworth, and like, he, he died. I'd be going, oh, no, oh, no, call 911, call 911. I would have, he said, say, obviously, that wasn't God. Oops. Sorry, dude. Have a good day. I don't, <laughs> like, I was thinking that while he was saying that. I would have backed down. You can't. Not in this house, not out there. In Philippians, Paul's speaking to the church again. He said, join together in perfect unity. Philippians chapter 2. Look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. He's proud of them. Yes. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. Woohoo! So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with one unbounded joy. We as his body blow up every box when we walk in unity of thought and mind that his grace is sufficient, that his mercy covers over, that he is with us. And we walk in that same spirit with that same effective unity. This county will be no problem to win for Jesus. Not a problem at all. Nothing is impossible. And especially in the sense of we as the body of Christ, loving each other, keep going in, the, in, the, in this. Be free from pride-filled opinions. I do it better than they do. I know it better than they do. Whatever that looks like. I, I, can, I can, this week, the Lord's like, Leslie, that's a prideful opinion. Get it out of your mind. The, the moment we judge each other is the moment we have a log in our eye when there's a speck in the other person's eye. We cannot stand in judgment of one another. Be free from prideful opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Boxes blown. <laughs> My mom made me memorize this verse. I don't know if it was in the New King James, but it was in honor, preferring one another. <laughs> and that's how she disciplined me. <laughs> he is gentle in his discipline. And he's gentle when he says, oh, Leslie, you've got that box and that has got to go. You need to look at your brother and your sister through eyes of love, grace, and mercy. You don't need to assume the worst. You need to assume the best. Because that will only tie you up. That will only bind you. Because when we move together in unity, there is power. And when we separate ourselves from each other, that creates a weakness, a crack in the wall, a place where it's broken down and weathered. And we need Jesus to be our foundation, our cornerstone, our way of thinking about each other. And we need those boxes to go. And consider the example of Jesus. This is the last verse in this passage that I want to read. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Jesus could have looked at the woman at the well who had been with multiple men and said, I'm sorry. I can't talk to you. You're unclean. But instead, he blew that box up. He blew up her box about what God is like. And he said, you are loved. You are cherished. I see you. 
In the, in the English Standard Version, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. We as his body have to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, this is big. And I don't know if you've ever said this to the Lord, but I will follow you even to the point of death. You see, there's a supernatural death that happens when you say yes to him. You die to your old self. You lay it in the grave. You leave it behind. He says your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west, and you rise up new. But as a new being, what if he calls you to do this or that? Are you willing to follow and blow up any box that says, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, I... You see, he says, put on the mind of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ, right? So in his mind, in his mind, you need to replace your thoughts with his thoughts, your ways with his ways. And in his mind, nothing is impossible. The way that Jesus thinks, let's get into his brain for a second. In his mind, Nothing is impossible. In his mind, the Father deserves all praise, honor, and glory to the point of reckless abandon. He did it. He led by example. He says, follow me. In his mind, healing is always the answer. Always the answer. In his mind, love always leads. In his mind, grace comes first. In his mind, you have all authority through him to accomplish what he is asking you to do. In his mind, breakthrough belongs to you. In his mind is always peace, is always victory. <laughs> I like this one. In his mind, the enemy is a measly snake with a crushed head. The enemy has no power. He finished it. It is finished. It is finished. So when he tries to raise that head, you say, get out of here. You're crushed. You're done. In his mind, in my mind, this is who I am. This is who he is. And this is what I'm capable of. This isn't just talking ourselves into it. This is moving and acting in faith. This is getting that transformed supernatural mind. In his mind, unity is always possible. In his mind, the church is the fulfillment of his sacrifice, his bride. In his mind, unity, I already read that one. Well, I'll read it again. Unity is always possible. In his mind, miracles, signs, and wonders are always available. In his mind, redemption belongs to us. No one can tell you any different. Blow up any boxes that do not match his thoughts. Counterattack the boxes with unbridled obedience. Illogical is what Travis called it. But I love the thought of unbridled. What does it look like to get on a horse without the bridle and the bit in its mouth? It's you and that horse against the world, and you, you, there's this freedom. People like to ride without a saddle, without a bridle, and like, there's this freedom in that. That there's a trust in the horse that they're not going to just completely throw you off. And yet a freedom to not be tied down or held down, but you're literally connected with the horse and you are holding on and you are in motion with the horse. It's kind of a unity that is just crazy. And God says to you today, I want you to be in unity with me like that. Imagine yourself riding bareback on a horse in complete freedom, not even holding on to the mane. But just arms in the air, let's go. Wherever you call me, wherever you lead me, I will live in unbridled obedience to your word, to your Holy Spirit speaking. 
I love that picture. When the Lord gave me that, I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Let's go. And I don't ride horses, so reckless surrender. It might seem reckless to let go while you're riding a horse with no saddle. It takes reckless surrender to go, okay, Jesus, what do you have for me today? How can you move me in a new and fresh way today? How can your supernatural mind become my supernatural mind? Through the truth of the word of God and through unity in the body. Revival. Hear me. Revival. He is good. And he came, like his word says, like he spoke to Nicodemus to give you a new way of thinking. You're done with the old. It's time to step into the new. And it's, it's, I love it because Jesus is patient with us and it's a process. And so you don't have to feel shame and guilt right now. You can just say, okay, Jesus, this is, this is the box I'm dealing with today. Can you please blow it up? Can you please get it out of my life? Give me a new perspective. Give me a new way of reacting. Give me a new way of handling it. Let me become more like you. Let me see it the way you see it. When you receive him, you receive a new way of thinking. Sometimes our boxes are immediately blown. Other times through revelation of the scripture and prompting of the Holy Spirit, they're blown. Remain in a place of humility. Die to yourself daily. Paul said, I die daily. With yourself and everyone around you as he forms the way you think. Trust him with yourself. Trust him that he will come through. I have heard since Wednesday to today how many prayers God is answering like this. Just Aslan is on the move. Yahweh is on the move. He loves you. He adores you. He created you. Will you stand? It's cool how the story of Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John leads to the verse that we all have memorized when we're kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then that verse that says when he went to the cross and he rose again, that resurrection power lives in you and lives in me. So right now, I believe that God wants to blow up boxes. And and there are some of you that have been sitting on prophetic words for someone in this room and you haven't gone and been obedient. And, And as we worship God's just going to blow up boxes. Last week he did. I, I watched this body move in unity and pray over one another, and I've heard nothing but praise reports from those moments. We need each other. We need to pray over each other. We need to prophesy over each other. We need to cheer each other on. We need to challenge each other. We need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So in these next few moments, we're going to do it again. We're going to pray for each other in unity of thought and mind and heart. We're going to move in obedience. But what we're going to do, I'm literally listening to Holy Spirit right now while I'm talking, is if you have, a, if you have something in your body that needs healed, you need a physical healing, I want you to find someone else in the room. So right now, if you, have, you need a physical healing in your body, raise your hand. Hi, hi, hi. I need to see him. Everybody else in the room needs to see him. Raise him up. Okay. I want you to find, keep your hands up and move from your spot and find someone that has their hand in the air and pray together in agreement for healing, together, over each other. Find somebody, get up, go ahead and move. If you have your hand up, move. And if you want to pray over somebody, move right now. If you have a prophetic word for somebody in the room, I want you to walk to that person right now in obedience and pray over them. Pray and agree for healing right now in each other's bodies. That's what you're doing. You're agreeing for healing. Now the rest of you, find somebody to pray with. Go to somebody and pray over somebody right now. Right now, agree with heaven 
If you're just standing, find somebody. Move out of your seat. Get brave. I want you to find somebody and pray over somebody right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Agree together as the body. You are the body in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.